The Tour de France started on July 1st in Copenhagen. The Danes are hosting the first three phases, first three stages of the Tour de France. A friend of mine remarked, I don't know if there's enough land in Denmark to hold three stages of the Tour de France. At any rate, so it's like this whole France ride, right? You know, like pan chocolat, or yes, please, we, 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 right? Uh, I was once in the south of France, okay, Tanya and I, uh, we were uh, 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 a few months away from our first child being born. Tanya had a business trip to Geneva, Switzerland. We stayed across the border in the south of France in Ferney Voltaire, which is the summer residence of Voltaire. And we're staying in this little hut, okay, and, and the hut, the little, not a hut, but this little inn was like, like built in like 1490 or something like that. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of like an old building, right? And we're sitting there and, and you can't read the, because the menu's in French. And so you're like, you're kind of like, and the guy brings out this thing, right? And I have no idea what it is. But as soon as I get into it, I'm like, oh, this is rabbit stew. Had no idea I was getting rabbit stew. So he carefully, and I think I've told this story to some of you, he carefully quarters the rabbit in the stew and picks out a piece and pulls out a few potatoes and some carrots, puts them on my plate. And this thick red wine sauce. Now, I'm not a loud American when I travel, okay? I just kind of lay under the radar. But when it comes to food, if it's good... I learned how to eat when I was young. That quarter of a rabbit was gone in like 30 seconds. I mean, did I taste it? Yes. Did I taste it as well as I could have? No. And so then the rest of the rabbit stew is in front of me. What do I do? So I sit there for a few minutes, try to get his attention behind the bar, which really it's not looking out the door. The bar is like right there, you know? And so I'm sitting, I'm like, um... Finally, finally, I, I'm like, I can't wait any longer. So I reach in with a, with a spoon and the fork, and I'm going to grab the next quarter. He vaults over the bar. He's deeply offended that I would dare serve myself at his establishment. And he gets out another piece, and the subsequent pieces came more quickly after that. See vous play, if you please. Page 1010, verse 20, Hebrews 13. We finish up Hebrews today. That's kind of cool, right? You know, happy 4th of July weekend. Verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. A benediction, certainly. A prayer, without a doubt. The God of peace. The God who brings peace. Something that I wonder, to Eric's point earlier, if we fully embrace. Do we embrace the idea that God wants to bring peace into our lives? Raise Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd, by the blood of the eternal covenant. When you're raising people from the dead, that's next level. You're truly doing something unique with a strong, strong display of ability. Jesus is alive, best priest ever, 
Remember, part of the, one of the underlying themes in the book of Hebrews is that we're moving through this idea of a temporary priesthood, a Levitical priesthood executed by the sons of Aaron and his descendants, in which the priests only serve for a short period of time and have to continually sacrifice animals to one, to a priesthood being led by Jesus, who was raised from the dead, who is alive, who died once, who shed blood once. Everything about Christ moves forward into eternity for eternity. When you're raising people from the dead, you're truly doing something unique. It is next level. It is well-resourced. It has plenty of horsepower. It is well-capitalized. The larder is full. The freezer is ready for winter. Storehouses have enough grain. However you want to express it, by virtue of what Jesus Christ did executed, how he was raised from the dead by the power of God. Verse 21 says, we are equipped. That we have everything that we need. But it's more than that. Because there's also a sense here that, that, that on our own, we don't possess this. And, and this is something that kind of jams us up, right? Because we've been told from, from a very early age, um, man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Man, you, you are in control of your own destiny. You can do this. You've got the power of this. You've got self-agency. You have everything that you need. And the sense of this idea of being equipped by God is that we don't have this on our own. And even if there was once a shred of it, it is long gone. It no longer exists. It's been buried deep. It needs to be uncovered. And the text points us to less of an idea of how extraordinary we are as individuals and more towards the reality of how desperately we need to be equipped by the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And that we can't do this on our own. We can't execute to the standard. We don't have the ability apart from Christ. But with Christ, we have this thing, this ability being equipped with everything good that we need to do his will. Working in us, that which is pleasing according to God. Radically different, right? The standard isn't me, the standard isn't you, the standard isn't what I like, the standard isn't what you like, the standard is what does God like? Do we seek the standard that God likes? Do we think the things that are pleasing in God's eyes, not our eyes? And it might be a phenomenal question to ask of our own lives. Does my life on a daily basis please God? Does my life in its execution please the God of the universe? Through Jesus Christ, again, this element of you won't be able to do this, we won't be able to do this, I won't be able to do this on my own. It's not a case of John working in John's life. 
It's a case of God working in John's life. And to be truthful, that's a bit of a relief for me. It's allowing the work of God to happen in our lives. Had a tough night of sleep the other night. Um, saw multiple times on the, cam- on the clock, right? And, and, and it was, you know, in, in, in retrospect, after you get clear of it, you're like, well, now why was that such a big deal? But it was a big deal at the time. So the first time I see the clock was at 11.53, then one something, then two something, then 4.55. I finally got up at 5.25 and jumped on the bike. A.M., just so we're clear. <laughs> After the one something thing, okay, I, I did the um, Psalm 23, okay, memorize the first four verses, right? If you're along with us, you know, the weekly things that we send out on Thursday mornings, I don't care if you read my words, just memorize the scripture. That's kind of what we're trying to do, kind of trying to encourage. If you don't know what I'm talking about, say, hey, I want to get the little letter thing in which we're memorizing Psalm 23. Give me your email address. We'll get it to you. No problem. Psalm 23 was a companion at the one something wake up, right? I was able to get back to sleep. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We've only memorized four verses. I kind of know the last two, but I just got to four. That's it. That's all I could manage. Repeated enough times, went back to sleep. Bueno. Two something shows up. <clears throat> Get up, I write for about 15, 20 minutes, go back to sleep. 4.55, I'm just like. Heart racing. Threw all the covers off. Just so you know, I'm not disturbing Tanya because I've already left. (laughs) I'm sleeping on the floor in the basement, right? Because why should she be punished for my brain? Don't go too far with that. (laughs) My final attempt at sleep was simply just crying out to God, help me. (laughs) I need help. Help me. Two words. Which, as a side note, the most eloquent prayer in the world is not a surplus of words, but the heart, the mind, the soul reaching out to God. God, help me. That's the most eloquent prayer. In fact, a more eloquent prayer than that is just, Lord. I say this not to make myself out to be this great thing, because I'm not. But I say this, that even in the midst of trying to follow God, and even in the midst of memorizing Scripture, and even in the midst of praying to God, there are still nights where you cannot sleep, where the torment is deep. And I don't even have an idea of what it's like to be tormented in the middle of the night, like some of you have an idea of what it's like to be tormented in the middle of the night. Even though it's hard, these words are still true. And memorizing scripture and knowing scripture and saying it in the dark hours of the night and praying to God and writing to God. These are the things, these are the pieces that equip us to be the followers of Christ we were created to be. 525, I jump on the bike, I reach out to a friend about 6.30 a.m. Are you home? (laughs) 
for 10 more minutes. I'm like, I'm right outside your door. <laughs> a little weird. Pulled in for a coffee and a hug. I needed a hug. I needed someone stronger than me to hug me. It's what verse 21 means when it says, he'll equip you, us, with everything good that we may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, Sivu play, if you please, brothers and sisters, bear with my exhortation. It's a short note. We've spent 52 weeks going through it, okay? And a little bit longer than a year because we took a break for Christmas and Easter and these types of things, okay? But really, it's a short note. I mean, you could read this thing in an hour or less, depending upon how fast you read. The author of Hebrews is saying, carry this. Let it linger. Savor it. Come back to it. This isn't a heavy load. This isn't rocket science. Although this last week, I actually met a rocket scientist. I'm kidding you not, okay? So we were doing Pam Lillehei's funeral on Thursday, and um, just an extraordinary woman of God. She's wrote a book about her journey through breast cancer. If you want someone that understands what it's like to go through that journey, get her book, get in contact with us, we'll get you her book. And, and, and this protracted battle that she had, and, and just a faithful follower of Christ, right? Just amazing. Her son's a rocket scientist. Literally. He works for NASA. He leads interplanetary propulsion or something like that. He is literally a rocket scientist. This isn't that. It's much easier than that. Just the air that this guy breathes is different air than I breathe. The author of Hebrews is saying, can I just get your attention for just a little bit? On Friday, we're at Fort Snelling for Pam's interment. Don't know if you've ever been to Fort Snelling Cemetery, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The rows and rows and rows of grave markers. There's nine Medal of Honor recipients buried at Fort Snelling. Charles Lindbergh, not that one, but the last surviving Marine that raised the Stars and Stripes on Iwo Jima is also buried there. Lieutenant Robert Johnson, Tanya's grandfather, who served in the European Theater of Operations, World War II. Lieutenant Colonel, full title would be Reverend Dr. Lieutenant Colonel William No Middle Initial Snow, Tanya's other grandpa, also is interred there. The interment itself lasts for like three minutes. And you say a few words, you cite the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, and then you stand in silence, surrounded by all these gravestones. You, you can't get into Fort Snelling if you don't earn it. And this silent witness to individuals who have honored our country through service Can I get your attention for just a little bit? Can I get us to slow down long enough to hear the words of God? Can I get you to stand in the middle of a cemetery and look all around? 
Are you willing, are we willing to pay attention? S'il vous plaît. I appeal to you, sisters and brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. News report, Insta post, Timothy is out, he's my ambassador, we'll be showing up soon. Greet the leaders, the saints, Bajorno. English, French, and now Italian. It's a magical, magical day at Timberwood Church. <laughs> Residents of Italy could be, um, you know, people who are actually living in the boot or expats. And then these six words. How would you end a letter if you only had six words? Six words. Six words. Six words. Six words. Do you see it there? You can even memorize it if you don't know it. Grace be with all of you. Simple, elegant, so rich with meaning. Encouragement, right? Grace be with all of you, but also a reminder. Grace. Grace is something that we get that we don't deserve. Which is really different, because we often think we deserve so much. Even if we say that we don't, deep down inside, we really do. We really think we deserve more. We really do think we deserve most everything good that we have, because we've earned it, right? We've built it ourselves. I've said it more than once, unless I was present at my creation or the creation of the world, let's slow down just a little on how much we've done and what we think we deserve. We're getting what we don't deserve, grace. And implicit in receiving a gift from God is the idea of being a conduit of that same gift. So being a conduit of grace. And that is giving to others that which they don't deserve. And again, we really don't like this idea. We like to give to people that we think deserve our grace. But we really don't love this one. It's easy for us to give grace to someone who deserves it. And that's what we're most likely to do. Let's just be honest. Some of us might say, well, I give grace to my kids and they don't deserve it. Okay, well, they're your kids and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but, but what else are you going to do? I mean, they're your kids, you know? And you want at least a shot of them hanging around and taking care of you when you're old and are drooling out the sores of your mouth, right? I mean, so let's be honest. You're still trying to acting with grace. Grace be with you, I think, happens when we experience grace, really experience it, and then we allow it to flow through. Because I, if I am experiencing grace, if I am filled with grace, then grace is what will come out. And we can say that we are gracious, but we only have to look at our behavior to see if that's a true statement. Because if graciousness comes out 
in my daily actions, then I'm probably filled with grace. And if it doesn't, probably should be working on grace. The author of Hebrews leaves us at this moment, right? Both encouraging our souls and calling us to a different plane of behavior. And invites us to consider. Are we willing to take the time to do the work that's necessary? Yesterday I'm out on a bike ride and um, I don't know, for me, it was just a good day, okay? And uh, so I just felt like moving, you know, for me. Probably not for you or someone else, but I felt like moving. And I was moving, I was moving pretty good, you know? So I'm like, okay, I go out uh, 127, hit Merrifield, go north, take a right on three, and um, then I hit uh, 19, and then I go south on Rebel, and I'm just, body feels good, feels good nutrition, everything, just, I'm just cranking, you know, then I turn on Sorensen Road, Sorensen Road's a dead end, so I take the dead end, go back out and back, and, and so I'm cruising down Sorensen, and I hear this noise over my shoulder, and it's this lady on a four-wheeler, and she's going, you know, and far enough away, so I didn't inhale her exhaust, and fine, it's, you're out on a four-wheeler ride, no problem, no judgment, right, and shortly after that, I hear another four-wheeler, okay, and this one comes along, alongside of me, and then slows down a little bit, and I'm kind of always like a little bit worried, you know, am I going to get shot? <laughs> it's not rational. It's not reasonable. It probably won't ever happen. But I just, I don't know, there was a movie once where, and I just like, so that goes through my brain, right? And so this, I look over and this guy's like, he's giving me the thumbs up, you know, and he paces me, okay? And then he yells out a number, you know? And like, good job. And I'm like, and then, you know, and just like cloud of exhaust, you know, and you're like, so then I get back, right, and, and had this one, right, and then I'm washing my gear out, because I learned, okay, that when you, when you wear a kit, and this has been a long thing for me, okay, I used to like take off my kit, take off my bibs, hang them up so they could dry out, Bicycling Magazine says, no, no one should have to see that. <laughs> you take your kit off, and you wash it immediately, you don't leave it laying around, drying out for someone else to see. You do the hard work necessary at the end of the ride. That's where Hebrews leaves us. Inviting us in all areas of our life to embrace grace, to act with grace, to receive grace, to be a conduit of grace. And so that's what I leave with you. May the God of peace equip you that you may do his will through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we come to you this weekend when we take pause in a unique and special way and express gratitude for the land in which we live. And we certainly do that, O oh great God. The ability that we have to enjoy time with family and timely with friends, 
to celebrate, to eat. It's reflections of the very best things that you bring into our lives. But allow us the benefit of pause. Allow us the benefit of reflection. Allow us the benefit of being challenged by your word. Allow us the benefit of slowing down enough to allowing this book to intersect with our lives and to change our behavior, change our life trajectory. Father, that is the hope that I have for myself and that is the hope that I have for my friends here today. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.